Welcome to the Call It In podcast for women seeking more depth and more meaning in their life, more happiness, more healthiness, more peacefulness, more abundance, and more overall fulfillment. Each episode provides practical, actionable steps in mindset, soul set, and heart set living for seekers on a mission to call more into their lives. Join us for a new episode every Wednesday as we call it in with Dar. Change. Change is one thing that we can always count on happening in this life. In today's episode, Kirsten Besky talks about what various stages of change are, why it can be so hard to change, and why it takes so much of our energy. She leads us through a framework that provides a roadmap for moving through the new stages in life and making changes more gracefully. I am so excited to talk about the psychology of change with you, Kirsten. But before we get started, please tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Well, sure. So I am here in Southern Vermont, and I once upon a time was a lawyer who practiced law for 14 years, actually, as a litigator before I uh, changed careers completely and became a psychotherapist and had a private practice in psychotherapy for a long time, and more recently became really interested in positive psychology and started coaching people, specifically usually women, in how to move through big life changes and how to figure out what the next chapter of life can look like so that as we go through life, we can make sure we're living into our fullest potential. That's awesome. Living to our fullest potential. So that's quite a change <laughs> from going from uh, beginning as a lawyer. And it just brings my interest, piques my interest. In how did you get interested in today's topic, the psychology of change? Well, it, you would think it would be, you know, when I became a psychotherapist, but not really. It started a long time before that. Uh, where I, when I was younger in high school, I was a competitive athlete and I pre you know, played tennis at a national level and had a lot of pressure on me. And I managed to develop an eating disorder at the time. And this is quite a long time ago now. And I remember thinking, boy, this is a really unhealthy pattern I have going with this eating disorder. I should probably stop <laughs> having this problem and not knowing how to and going to my parents and saying, hey, I have a problem and I think I need help. And, and them saying, oh, no, you don't. Because in our family growing up, um, you don't you didn't need psychological help if you were a healthy a person getting good grades and functioning in the world, why would you need to go to any kind of a counselor? And so with, when I was left with, no, you don't, I, I didn't know what to do. So I bought a lot of books and I bought a lot of books on the root causes of eating disorders or women's body issues, which I think if you're a female in America, you can relate to what I'm talking about. You know, there was so many unhealthy images of women out in those days that even a healthy young woman might think that they were fat, right? So between reading Janine Roth's work, which you may be familiar with, who talks a lot about 
well, her first book was called Feeding the Hungry Heart. And it gave these insights between needing love and connection with people and using food as a substitute. And so I was able to read these books. And I think the other one was Fat is a Feminist Issue. And I took the the insights I gained from just reading these books. And I actually was able to pretty much analyze, observe, and change my own behavior based on that knowledge. And I, I didn't really think much about it at the time, but in retrospect, knowing what I know now, I'm realizing that that ability to um, change through insight, I think, is what always inspired me over time. So every time in my life since then, when I've felt uncomfortable or knew that something needed to shift because it just wasn't working, I, I knew in my heart that there was a process through which that I could go through to get enough insight to take enough action to actually change. And so I used that in my personal life for a long time. And then when I moved into the field of psychotherapy, I was able to start applying that in a more clinical way to the people I I helped. And now when I work with my clients, my coaching clients, I use the framework um, of positive psychology, it's called, to, to still work people through these same stages of change so that they can use their own insight and get their own clarity and use their own wisdom to move into the next best version of themselves at that time. Beautiful. And how interesting how you came to, you know, realize what it took to change. And it's a good thing you're a reader, or you were then. I'm very grateful for all the books in my life. Um, I actually do a live show in my Facebook group every Wednesday called Wednesday Wisdom Live, where I just usually pick from my massive quantities of books and share, you know, the wisdom from that particular book um, each week. So I still believe in the power of of books to uh, exchange energy and information. Awesome. Well, we have that in common. But let's go back to when you talk about helping your clients through the stages so that they can use their own wisdom. What are the various stages of change? Yeah, well, so in in the field of psychology, they, they usually say there's five stages of change. And so I'll give you the clinical definition and then what I call them. So the first stage is called pre-contemplation. So that is what I call blissful ignorance. (laughs) You have no idea that there's anything you might possibly want to change. So that would be, um, I often have talked to a lot of friends during this pandemic where they were in their yoga pants for a year and they were blissfully ignorant of the fact that when they tried to put their jeans on, they weren't going to be able to zip them up. Right. (laughs) So I, I too fell a little, uh, you know, prey to that. So pre-contemplation, we're just not aware there's anything we need to shift. Then the second stage is contemplation where all of a sudden you get that spark of awareness hmm, my pants don't fit. (laughs) And then you start thinking about, well, am I going to do something about that or not? Which leads to the third stage, which is planning. And so planning is when you start actually like visualizing out what you might do. And it's it's, um, more of the big picture. (laughs) I uh, I, I admit to, I have actually done what I call watching the workout, where you look at the workout that you might like to do, but you don't actually do it. You're just watching the workout. So that's still the planning phase. It also could be if you wanted to start getting out and going on walks or going for a run, you know, it's when you go buy those shoes um, or you buy the clothes you think you're going to need. It's the planning stage, but it's not quite yet the doing stage. 
So stage four is the action stage, which I like to call the Nike phase because it's the just do it, right? So it's when you actually take that planning that you've put in and you actually start implementing it, really taking action. And then the last stage is maintenance, where you've actually successfully done this new thing that you wanted to move into for long enough that it gets wired into you. It becomes a little bit more of a habit and it really starts to really shift kind of your your personal identity around that behavior. It starts to integrate. So it doesn't take as much effort to continue it to go. So those are the five stages of change. And you can see it's a little bit more complex than you might think. I like the your definitions, though. <laughs> that made it not, not quite as complex. Mm-hmm. When, in hindsight, I look at those steps, I can certainly see them in just about every phase of my life. So that brings me to the question, why is change so hard? I, you know, I can do most of those steps. It's those last two I have to force myself, but (laughs) why is change so difficult? Well, so there's, you know, more than one reason. And so the, the first reason that is kind of the overarching reason is just that we are wired for the status quo. So our human neurobiology is wired for safety, right? Safety and survival first. And whenever there's change that's going to happen, whether it's good for us or not good for us, it reads as danger to our nervous system, which is really unfortunate, right? Because so many times we, we want to change something because uh, we know it will be good for us or we know we will be better off. But because we have not yet experienced it, our nervous system resists it because it's something different and new. So part of the hurdle of getting over change is to actually have have a system in place where we can comfort that nervous system and soothe it enough to let us take those, those change actions without too much disruption. And so a lot of our of our subconscious programming, which is usually pre-wired into us, like when we're quite young, usually zero to six is the age that our subconscious wiring and our belief system um, all gets set in place. We bring that into our adult life and the comfort of our wiring is so comfortable to us that any change just threatens it. So, so you're, you're kind of going uphill every time you're trying to make a change, even if it's for the best. So that you use the term neurobiology of change. So that's that programmed into us since age six, that early. Or even earlier. Well, so so some of our very subconscious programming is that earlier programming. But then we 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 develop habits through our life. And so I like to always talk about habits of being. So you know what a normal habit is. So right, the pattern that you brush your teeth each day is probably habitual. You probably put the toothpaste on the same way and do the same pattern. And if you get interrupted, it feels uncomfortable because you haven't done it all, you know, your usual way. Those are habits that get wired in place as shortcuts, right? So that we don't have to think about every single action we take. So if we didn't have habits, we our whole day would be so difficult. Like we'd wake up and we'd have to say, okay, um, open eyes, 
turn body sideways, move feet to floor, stand up, right? You know, <laughs> it's, we, it's just overwhelming. So our brain creates a lot of shortcuts and we have lots of habits. We are strung together day, you know, throughout the day is habit after habit after habit. And so when you add all those together, it kind of becomes your personal identity, your habit of being. And you can think of habits like neurons that are why are set together in a certain pattern. And then they are wired together, like soldered together into a very thick, solid piece of, of a circuit. That's, that's what our habits are for us. So we no longer have to go neuron to neuron to neuron to neuron. The whole thing flows very smoothly and it just doesn't take much effort. So when we're trying to, to change a habit, it's almost impossible to just break those circuits because they're so hardwired in place. But really what we need to do is to overwrite them with new new coding, I like to call it, right? So we're going to set a new pathway, a new neural pathway, and then we're going to repeat it enough times that it starts to solder together itself. And then once we start using the new pathway, then the old one can start to disintegrate a little bit. And they don't always disappear, but they start to loosen and the soldering kind of falls off of the old pattern and the new one can become the primary pattern. So it it really is almost as if we have hardware within us when we talk about biology, because those neurons firing together, the, the, we say that neurons that fire together, wire together. And so when we start a new habit, we have to reset that new pattern so that they can get wired together also. Interesting. Did you know that ancient archetypes can give us deep insight into our modern day lives? DAR has created a short 10 minute free quiz to help you discover whether you are a healer, teacher, warrior, or visionary. It's located in the show notes page at www.callitinpodcast.com. Enjoy the results. So you were talking about, since you were talking about forming a new habit, after we've made a change, how long does it take to form a new habit? I mean, what do we go through and what kind of timeline can we expect? Well, so it's so interesting that um, the oversimplified version that you may have heard before is that it usually takes around 30 days for a new habit to start to feel like it's forming. The Unfortunately, the real answer is a lot more complex than that. And how long it takes to really get a new habit in place really depends on the complexity of the habit that you're trying to instill. So a more simplistic habit, you could reasonably expect that if you did it for well, as little as two weeks and up to a month that you really are going to start to have that wired more and more in place. But for more complex habits and the ways of being in the world, it's just going to take longer um, and it's going to take more repetition. And part of that is that you need the more repetition to really wire the new neurons in place. And part of that length of time is also the length of time it takes for the old pattern to start to disintegrate. So the the simplistic answer is, you know, the 30 days that you hear. And the real answer is it depends. And it depends on how complex what you're trying to change is. Yes. Thank you for that detailed explanation. Because as a college instructor, we would give out 30-day habit trackers for people to form new 
study skills. And so I had worked under the 28 to 30 day kind of ruling, but I know it takes longer in my life. Right, right. So yeah, I think we, we don't do anyone. I mean, it's a shame not to try to get it done in 30 days. But I think that we shouldn't think of it as a huge disappointment if it doesn't happen that fast. Thank you. Thank you for that. So do different stages of life actually require change as part of being human? Is that like one of our human requirements? Uh, absolutely. I mean, if you listen to the philosophers, right, the only constant we have in life is that change happens. If you think about life, you know, we do move through these decades where our priorities shift and change, and we shift and change as people. So if you don't proactively and intentionally try to manage the direction your life is changing, you will find yourself changed in ways you might not have wished, right? right? So so if you just think of it, maybe even as like you're floating down the river of life, right? And so yes, you're going to see different scenery along the riverbanks along the way. And you do have a choice, though, you know, are you going to paddle towards the right or paddle towards the left or take this left branch in the river or climb out of it, right? You, you get to, uh, to choose, but you are moving. And as we move through life, change is constantly happening around us. So it, it's um, impossible for us not to change. The only question is, do we want to have some control or input into the way in which we want to change? I love that. I love that river analogy that made it so clear. So that brings me to the question, why does it take so much energy to move into a new stage of life and to make a conscious change? Well, be, you know, basically because the habit building is so difficult. <laughs> um, it takes so much men mental energy and control to build the new habit. But the whole point of building the habit is to get to the place where then the habit, once it's wired, is automated and it no longer takes so much brain energy. So if you, um, it's really a bit like climbing a mountain, right? And once you get to the top, then you can coast for a while. Just the, if you think about the five stages of change that we were just talking about, the contemplation takes energy, getting insight and taking the time to um, figure out the direction you want to go, takes energy and intention, planning how you're going to actually move into the next step takes energy and action. And then overcoming the fear of trying something new, right, uh, takes a lot of energy and you're working often against some resistance to this new different change. And all of that, so all of that energy goes in and then has to be repeated over and over again until finally it will start to feel easier. So if you're willing to endure that discomfort, right, they say all change occurs outside of your comfort zone. And so that, that knowing that you're going to have to move into a little bit of discomfort in order to have a change you know is going to ultimately be good for you. That just takes energy, right? It's, it's kind of like walking purposefully uh, into the wind, knowing that eventually you're going to get to your shelter. 
it, it definitely takes energy to form habits, much, much more energy than just to have once a habit once it's wired. But uh, the good news is, as long as you're being intentional about these new habits, you'll be better off, right? It's only the habits we slip into that we're maybe unaware of, you know, the, the drinks of wine at night that start from one glass to two to half a bottle, right? <laughs> those, those kind of habit, habitual patterns that maybe you haven't paid attention to. Um, those are the ones that it's going to not only take more energy to get out of, but it takes extra energy to break those bonds too. So unfortunately, habits take energy to create and habits take energy to break. Yes, absolutely. Walking forward into the wind. Can't we all relate to that? <laughs> certainly. The pandemic has certainly placed us all in an uphill walk for a while. We've all been forced into some changes that we didn't ask for, but we've managed. And, but it's taken some energy. Yes, that's one we've all done. That's one mm-hmm. we've all walked forward into that wind. Yes. So can you give our listeners some tips for making changes as we, you know, as we go into a new year, I'm sure lots of people are thinking about change in their lives. Do you have like a framework or some tips that you could give them? Absolutely. And I love uh, the new year as a kind of a point of focus that we can kind of take an inventory of where we are and and then get clear on where we want to be. and take action steps towards that goal. So when my framework around this time of year is to to set aside some time because you need time and space to really start to get intentional about how you actually want to be. So step one is taking that inventory. Where am I? Am I happy where I am? Um, Or are there some things or parts of my life that I want to change? And Sometimes that um, clarity comes from also remembering that you have your own core values, you have your own strengths. So step two is really making sure that where you want to be aligns with your core values and what you already are bringing to the world. And then the next step, the third step is literally taking the action is right. Hitting that Nike phase of just doing it. And I love the idea of taking imperfect action. So if you're setting down some goals and maybe you know that you want to be in a certain place, but you haven't really gotten clear on what the path looks like, guess what? The good news is you can just start trying, right? Pick at least some action and try it and take it and see how it works. And that way you either will succeed um, or you'll learn that that wasn't the best choice and you'll learn from your mistake and you'll get to try another path. So there's no failure. You're moving forward. Nonetheless, the only failure would be taking no action so that you were just stuck doing nothing. But then the last step in this framework, the fourth step would be to make sure that you are getting some support around the desired change you want to make. because. No, no woman, no man is an island. And when we're moving through the discomfort of making change, we really need some extra support from outside of ourselves. And that can either, it could be spiritual support, so it doesn't have to be another human, but often it's nice to have a buddy, um, a buddy system, uh, a counselor, a coach, um, you know, some human being that you can 
clarify your goals with and who will then help support you even in those moments when you've maybe taken that imperfect action and you're learning what else you have to try or making that scary leap through that zone of discomfort to get to the other side, to have someone by you, you know, making sure that you remember that your compass is set that way. And that even though there's rough seas, you're still going in the right direction and really kind of hold your hand and encourage you through that process. So that will, those four steps will really get you very far as far as making good change in your life. Beautiful. Thank you for putting those into a framework. And it's real similar to what I do at the end of every year, from taking inventory to making sure that my next steps are going to be aligned with my personal values, my authenticity, and then taking the action. And I love the phrase imperfect action. Once I discovered that I was getting a lot more done as far as change. Perfectionism can stop a lot of people um, because we we think we can't move forward unless we do it right. And turns out that's not the best way to get things done. Moving forward, no matter what, is really the key there. That is definitely the key because I'm a recovering procrastinator because of perfectionism. Exactly. (laughs) At least you know that. Good, good insight. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And then you, it comes to support. So if some of our listeners are looking for support, um, why don't you let them know how they can get a hold of you and what you might have available for them? Certainly. I run a Facebook group. So if you're on Facebook, you can look for Becoming Boundless. I think the URL is you becoming boundless and we, I do free trainings in there. And I think I spoke before about my Wednesday wisdom live. Uh, And so that's a group that the whole point of which is to help people move into the next best version of themselves. I'm happy to respond personally to any email. So I know my email is Kirsten at apropositive.com. And I think that will be in the show notes. But what my specialty is, is working one-on-one with my clients over usually a six-month period of time, because as we talked about, change takes time. So I also help people who know that they want to go through some changes and aren't quite sure exactly what it could look like or know exactly what it could look like, but have been stuck in the same place for a while and really want to get moving. And I help people move into that next chapter um, using the techniques we talked about today, but a lot of other ways to work through our inner resistance so that we can move forward more smoothly and move into our next best self. So we have, you know, that ease and sense of confidence that we're going the right way. Beautiful. Yes, we will have all that information for everyone in the show notes to help move into the next best version of yourself. And I would just want to give you a great big virtual hug for being with us today. This has been a wonderful conversation, and it's just such a pleasure to be with you, Kirsten. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's really been lovely speaking with you as well, and I'm so glad that you have this podcast. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Call It In With Dar. If you enjoyed what you heard, please leave a review. And don't forget to check out the show notes page for special offers and more information at callitinpodcast.com.